Um, but we've been in the book of Philippians. And uh, so this morning I want to start off with um, one of those, you know, I kind of call it like a cheap chuckle or something like that. A, uh, it's one of those jokes I heard when I was little. Hopefully it's not too overused. Um, one of those sermon type jokes. Uh, but I'll, I'll give it to you here. I, I try to stay away from them, but it just fit too well today. Um, so there was, let's see, a priest, a pastor, and a rabbi. Those always start off good, right? They didn't walk into a bar. They were actually sitting in a boat. And uh, they had gone out fishing for the day. And after they had been there a little while, uh, the priest uh, mentioned to the other two, he said, hey, I need to run grab my fishing pole out of, out of the car. And so he gets up walks across the water, gets his fishing pole, walks back across the water, gets back in the boat. The, you know, the rabbi is there, kind of shocked by this, um, kind of internalizing it. And then after a while, the minister, he says, I need to go use the bathroom. So he gets out of the boat, walks across the water, uses the bathroom, walks back across the water, gets back in the boat. And the rabbi is sitting there thinking, all right, my faith is just as great as these two. All right, so here we go. So after a little while, he's like, hey, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go grab something to drink. So he gets out of the boat, steps in the water, <laughs> just sinks in. The guy, other guys help him get back in the boat. He gets back, kind of dries off. It's a little bit embarrassed. Gives it another try. I'm going to go get a drink. Steps out of the water, <laughs> sinks down. And again, a third, you know, they pull him up out of the water. And, but he's not to be undone. He's like a third time. He's like, okay, I can do this. He's like, all right, I'm going to get a drink. And as he's stepping out and going in the third time, the priest uh, mentions to the minister, should we tell him where the rocks are? <laughs> there you go. See, I got a, got a chuckle. I remember as a kid listening to that story, kind of thinking, well, surely it would have been a little more obvious, right? But anyway, uh, this morning as we're in the book of Philippians, I want... To you to examine your footing. There you see, there's my tricky connection there. Examine your footing. What has your footing in life been like over the last week? How's your footing been? Um, more often than not, there's been instability. What has instability in your life looked like lately? Uh, maybe a sinking feeling or just being overwhelmed or incredibly busy or paralyzed. Maybe you've been fearful, depressed anxious or sad kids I was wondering is your footing do you guys ever feel any of those things or are you guys just rosy and go through life just chipper and happy and joyful all the time uh, I know even my kids this week um, uh, let's see their grandma Mimi was in town for a couple days and she actually came in town for her little sister just had a baby up in Bellingham so she came to be up there but the baby came a little later than they were expecting so she spent a day or two with us and and for the kids that's like you know Jesus came back because Mimi's there for a couple days and they just get to hang out with her and it was great but then the, you know the day after she left our, our whole house kind of had this just depression hanging over it because Mimi was no longer there so I know that kids experience uh, instability sadness and the question is what do you do with that in life? What is your footing? What are the things that you reach to to stand on in those moments? Paul said at the beginning of Philippians, and he said it here recently, one of his major goals for writing this letter and his goals for the, the people, the church there in Philippi. Philippians 1.27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in the section that Mike preached about last week, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And as last week, Mike went on to talk about conflict and handling and dealing with conflict. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about three different rocks. I got my rocks up here on the stage Kids, you can draw a picture of the rocks if you want to, or if you've ever been someplace where you've had to walk across a stream or a river from one rock to the other, you know, go ahead and feel free to draw that as you're listening. I know that you will. Um, but this morning, I want to talk about three rocks of stability. Uh, you could actually turn it into six, but for the sake of our, you know, just this morning and trying to make everything simplified, I'm going to read our section here a little bit. Just like Mike did last week, we're kind of taking a section and we're kind of breaking it up into small chunks so that we can get our minds around it. And this was one of those that I probably memorized this verse as a kid. Maybe you did too. There's songs about what we're about to read. But I hope that what you can come away from it is, is just a visualization in your mind of three different rocks that you can depend on in your life for stability as we examine your footing. So I'll read the verse. It's, it's uh, Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Kids, we have the song, Rejoice in the Lord. We're not going to sing it this morning, right? But that may be going through your head. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now the section keeps going, but we're going to just, we're going to stop right there for the sake of this sermon. Rock number one, if you think about these rocks that were out there, the rock, if, if, there's, if I give a word, I have my three rocks here. I tried to make them kind of stable, see if I could kind of stand on them without breaking anything. So we have, uh, the, you can think of rejoice, the second rock, prayer, and the third rock, rock is presence. Rejoice, prayer, and presence. I just want to talk about those three rocks this morning. He starts out, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. But the word rejoice, this week we had the opportunity to rejoice as, like I mentioned, Laurel's sister had her very first baby. And not only was um, he her very first baby, he was over two weeks late, you know. And so if you've ever been in that spot, I know our, uh, one of ours that was, you know, you have the due date that hits. And I know I haven't ever been in the shoes of my wife or many of you, you know, have had the baby inside you, get this thing out of me, right? So you hit the due date and then there's like, okay, it's here, it's time, it's exciting. And then a few days goes by and then a week goes by. And I remember that feeling like, it's never going to come out, right? It's just... It's stuck in there. But as Leslie had Elliot, their little baby boy, uh, the very first one, and, you know, two weeks hit. And that's kind of the mark that usually once you hit two weeks, you know, things get kind of serious. And I don't remember. It was a few days beyond that as she's there in the hospital and as they were working. But finally, we get to rejoice because he's here. He's out of her and he's here in the world. And there's, th there's so many things in life that we rejoice for. And we don't need anybody to tell us once, let alone twice, to rejoice. I mean, nobody has to tell us when our team wins the Super Bowl to rejoice. 
We do it naturally. Your kids, when you're playing a game of baseball and you win, you feel that jubilant inside you. Yeah, rejoice. Nobody has to tell you, hey, remember to rejoice. But here we have in this section, Paul, as he's closing out this letter to the, the, Philipp, the Philippian church, saying, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. There's those things. He's saying it twice. Why do you think he's saying it twice? It's important. It's, it's, he's telling it because it doesn't come natural to us to rejoice in the Lord. More often than not, our rejoicing is based on whatever is happening in our life. And the times of rejoicing are often few and far between. Like we rejoice when we win the prize. We rejoice when things are going well. But more often than not, when people talk to us, how are you doing? You say what I'm often saying. You know, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm not necessarily rejoicing. Paul wants his church to stand their footing to be firm on the rock of rejoicing. And what are we rejoicing in? What is this rejoicing? Is it just some positive power of positive thinking? Let's just rejoice. God is, you know, what is it? Paul has just told us, and we read it at communion. We're rejoicing because our citizenship is in heaven. That is what rejoicing is, like we said. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we are waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. That is the rock of rejoicing. And at the end of our service today, we're going to have a, a few minutes of just quietly standing on each rock. Unfortunately, I can't invite everyone to come up here and stand on each rock. But we're going to, from your seats, imagine for a moment. Let's stand on this rock for a moment. Not just rejoicing because things are going well. Life is good. I have a job. I have clothes. I have these things. No rejoicing in our citizenship that is in Jesus Christ. And yet he doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about this word. The ESV translates it reasonableness. And I read that the first time. I thought, what in the world does that mean? Right? Others translate it gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all. Let your reasonableness, your moderation, your patience. As I looked into the word you know, more, I've heard several different things about it. But how does rejoicing tie in with reasonableness and gentleness? And what does that mean exactly? Uh, the word is one that points... So lots, it, your gentleness, your moderation, long-suffering. Um, I heard uh, Tim Keller in his, a sermon he gave call it, it's a radical evenness of temper. In other words, when you're rejoicing is not just based upon the good things that are happening in life, but your rejoicing is settled by something, a truth, an overriding truth of your life, your citizenship being in heaven. It changes the way that you live. No longer am I just waiting for the good things in life to happen for me to live a sense of joy. But my sense of joy is, is dependent upon what God has done. Therefore, whenever difficult things happen in life, Paul is saying you have the opportunity to respond in a gentle way, in a moderate way to other people. In other words, he's pointing to the way that God responds throughout the Bible as you read about his long suffering as the people that are sinning against him and turning their back against him and God doesn't just come out and thwart them. He's patient. And we have the opportunity to be that same way. Imagine if you were known for your gentleness. Whenever somebody offends you, and have you ever been in that moment where somebody offends you or somebody does something, maybe they knew it, maybe they don't, and you're trying to figure out, how do I respond in this moment? 
What do I do? I, what, here's what they deserve. They deserve me to respond this way. Kids, your brother, your sister. We talk about it every family Sunday, right? It's when they, re- they do something to you. And in that moment, you're sitting there thinking, how should I respond? Or maybe like many of us, we don't think. We just do it. Paul is saying, may your even-temperedness be what you are known for in the world because you are rejoicing not in your life circumstance, but rejoicing in your citizenship in heaven. It's an incredible way to live. And that's not just a, an external even temperedness. A lot of people would say, and even for me, I, I recognize I have maybe more of a, an a, even temperedness, I guess people would say. You know, I knew a, a lady once that um, I would say that she wasn't very even tempered um, because it was somebody that you had to be really careful with. Have you ever had those people, maybe you're like this, where if somebody walks up behind you and, you know, it, it can scare you very easily. Or kids, have you ever tried to scare your parents? You know, get in the spot like that where you try to hide behind the door and just to try to see that big reaction that happens out of them, right? And so I, my, my kids have tried to do that from time to time. And, and I, I have externally, I think, a pretty good track record. From time to time, they can get me. But for the most part, you know, inside, I may be scared, but outside, I can kind of pass it off like nothing was really happening, right? It's like an, an external even temperedness. Well, this lady that I knew once, you know, you couldn't even like come from, you have to announce, you know, when you're 10 feet behind her. Because if you came up and, and tapped her on the shoulder, she'd be on the ground, right? I mean, and, and I, I remember that. And so I, I learned very quickly, you have to be careful. I'm going to send this lady into the hospital if I'm not careful. But I kind of, you know, I, for me, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, my kids, they try to sneak up on me. Now, that doesn't mean you guys got to try to sneak up on me later on but you can try it I think for the most part I have a pretty good track record but but Paul isn't just talking about an external even temperedness he's talking about an internal one imagine if whatever that thing that hits your button in the right play and kids you know how to hit your parents buttons and and parents you know how to hit your kids imagine when that thing happens if the truth of the gospel in that moment were was able to change and transform the way that you respond. And that's why I say this, this rock, this stone of rejoicing, isn't just a one time, hey, you get baptized, now all of a sudden you can respond to life in this new way. No, this, I think, is a daily practice of standing on this stone, of rejoicing and allowing God to work this new way of living, this even-temperedness way of living into our life. Over time, That's Paul's prayer for his, the church in Philippi. That you would be known. Through your rejoicing in the Lord, you would be known for the way that you respond with gentleness, with kindness, with patience to the world around you. Imagine if that was what you were known for. So the second rock. I've just called it the, the prayer rock. And again, we say, okay, prayer. Because what, what does it say? Uh, Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There was, be anxious for nothing, but pray for everything. And as we think about standing on that rock for just a moment, I think for many of us, I don't have to explain what anxiety is. Would you agree in our world today, you know, even though we live in a world that, you know, technologically we have all of these things that we're supposed to make life easier and smoother and less anxious, what has happened in our life? For most of us, the older we get 
anxiety, stress, difficulty, challenges has raised and grown higher and higher and higher. There's disorders. There's people that, you know, spend their life not just even with, and I know many of us in this room, it's a very real thing. So what does this look like for us to, to stand on this rock of prayer? Because notice Paul doesn't just say, hey, stop being anxious. He says, and we'll kind of point to it in a moment. He says, you know, the Lord is near. But he says, don't be anxious for anything. But then he says, by, but it, let me read it to get the right. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Anxiety is a feeling of nervousness, unease, or worry that typically occurs in the absence of a real threat, or at least of an imminent threat. It's different from fear. Because fear is our body's response to something that's happening, it's preparing us. But for most of us, anxiety can be just this underlying feeling or it can become an overwhelming feeling, feeling or unease or worry about life. Many of us are touched by anxiety. And what does Paul say? Through prayer, through supplication, prayer, seeking, asking God, entreating, petitioning with an attitude of thanksgiving, present your, your requests to God. God invites us to stand on this rock. You see, when we see Jesus come and tell us about the Father, we see a very different of picture of God than many of us would have maybe grown up with or maybe grown up to, to see. You know, for many of us, we may have seen God as some Santa Claus that we can come to and we can present our requests to him. And then if he does give us what we want, we can say, okay, God, you're real. I can trust you. And if he doesn't, we can say, God, who are you? I don't believe you anymore. And yet the Bible paints this picture of God. Jesus says in, Matthew, in Luke eleven nine, 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We see a picture of, of God in the Bible, not as some Santa Claus, or some, but a God of a, as a a father, someone who wants you to come and ask him, who wants you to come and talk to him. In other words, God is not a God who says, I want you to be seen but not heard. Have you guys ever, maybe when you were children or children, have you ever been in an environment that's one of those kind of cold, hey, you're here, be seen, but don't be heard? You ever been in that environment? Some of us grew up in that. You know, I had, I had a family member I remember growing up in, and every time we would go to stay at their house, it was kind of one of those types of environments. Like, I mean, every, the, the house was, in, was not a kid house. And everything about it said, this is not a kid house. Don't mess it up. And are those places very comfortable to be in? No, and I remember being there, you know, and, and like putting my, my foot over the armrest and being told, no, put that down, you know, or, or whatever it was. And there's a couple toys, and they were always the most boring toys, you know, and they'd play with those, but don't make any noise and don't break anything. That was just that feeling. And some of us come to God in that way, and we have this feeling like God wants us to be seen but not heard. And the opposite could not be any more true. Paul says, those anxieties that you have, 
Take those to him through prayers, through supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Prayer is not just some rote, Lord, you know, now I lay me down to sleep or whatever. No, God says, bring your requests to me. I'm interested. I want to know them. I want to hear them. In the same way my wife wants to hear about my day, she doesn't want to just hear me say, my, my day was good. I went to a meeting. I saw, you know, the, the fire when I drove by on 20. Those are the big things in life. Now, she wants to know what was going on down deep inside of me. Some of those things that are often hard for me to really even, you know, ad- ad- admit to myself, let alone to her. That's, God is interested in knowing your anxieties. Those aren't something he's repelled by or repulsed by or saying, why can't you be more trusting Why God says, no, bring those to me. David had that kind of relationship with God where he shared, he even asked God to take out those who caused him pain and difficulty in life. Psalm 86, verse 14. David pours out his heart to God. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The temptation is with our, to let our anxieties be what we turn to in life. Paul invites us to turn to the one who can do something about them rather than spending our life reveling in our anxieties. So we have the first rock rejoicing and allowing ourselves to be known by our gentleness. The second rock, the rock of taking our anxieties to him through prayer, through supplication, with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God. And the third rock, God's presence. God's presence living in us. The verse, we skipped over it earlier, but the end of verse chapter 4 the Lord is at hand, therefore take your anxieties, don't, or therefore don't let your anxieties define you. Uh, but verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The picture that's here is the picture of the book of Joshua. I loved the book of Joshua, especially as a boy growing up because Joshua was a war commander. He was a leader. He was somebody who got things done. My, my son... Micah, his middle name is Joshua. And I'm sure all the Jewish boys played just kind of like, I don't know, you know, I grew up playing G.I. Joes. Actually, I didn't have G.I. Joes. My friends had G.I. Joes. I'd go over to their house to play G.I. Joes. But it was always so exciting or whatever you play kids today. But there was just something fun about playing that. Well, all the Jewish boys would have grown up playing like Joshua, going in and capturing the city of Jericho or going in and taking out the enemies. But the story of Joshua, if you know it and if you've read it, There's a refrain that's repeated over and over. Joshua 1 verse 9, God speaking to him, sending him out to go be this commander. And he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in the New Testament, and now Paul is saying that very same presence that was available to God's people is available to us through Jesus Christ. So on this rock, the rock of his presence, we recognize that the Lord is at hand, his presence and his peace. And what kind of peace does his presence bring into our life? It's a peace 
that passes what? A peace that passes, that rises above, that is far superior to all understanding, comprehension. And again, what's the context of this book? Paul writing from prison, writing to Philippians, who are the people in Philippi who are being persecuted. Imagine for them to hear this. For many of us, we think, you know what, my peace will begin when I finally get out of jail. Or my peace will begin when my enemies stop bothering me and my life is smooth. Or when my roof stops leaking or the bills stop coming or whatever. That's when my peace will come. But he says, no. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Usually we don't think of peace and guarding in the same sentence. But Paul does, uses this neat battle word, guard. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Do you realize that your heart and your mind needs to be guarded? Those anxieties, those things that so quickly trip us up and take us down the wrong path. Or kids, even just when you wake up and you're just feeling grumpy, you know, and you want to communicate to the whole world that you're grumpy and your parents are like, hey, go back to bed and get on the other side and wake up and come back out again. That feeling that's deep inside you, that's what God is saying. My peace alone can guard you, guard your hearts and your minds because often when we allow our hearts and our minds to stay unguarded, we go through our day allowing whatever our feelings and our anxieties to help us to treat other people and according to that, out of that anxious place. But God says, no, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And again, the Philippian people would understand this guarding. They, this was, a, as Mike's mentioned earlier, Philippi was a place for retired army officers to come and live. They would have had a Roman garrison there in their city to do what? To keep the peace, the peace of Rome. Right? They would be spread out and this peace of Rome that they were enjoying wasn't just something that came easy. It was something that they had fought for and they had to keep their, their, their garrison there to make sure that nobody would get in the way of this peace. Where does your source of peace and stability come from on a daily basis? Where does my source of peace come from? Many of us, some of us, were handed down a flawed sense of peace and stability from our parents. For some, maybe it was a, a chaos and fighting and war were the norm growing up. So without even thinking about it, we often seek out that same chaos in our lives today because that's where we feel most comfortable. Others seek the, the, the stability through bank accounts or through good jobs or retirement accounts or, or whatever it is. Or kids, we can think, if I could just get that thing, then my life would be at peace. Or maybe it's relationships. If everything is smooth sailing, then I'm at peace. But as we all know and experience, and kids, the older you grow, you'll realize that peace is temporary. Paul is inviting us to know a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, people looking at you would say, you are nuts. Why in the world are you experiencing peace right now? I can look at your life. It's the same way we would look when we look at Paul's life. Paul, you're in prison. You're nuts. 
right? This is a terrible thing. You need to seek to get out of this. You need to seek to live the good life. The American dream is what brings peace. Is the, that's what's held out to many of us. Paul's saying, no, he wants his church to be stable, to live on this rock of rejoicing and this rock of bringing your anxieties to the Lord and this rock of understanding that the Lord himself, the same one who was with Joshua when he conquered his enemies, the Lord's presence is near you and his peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know this peace? Have you experienced this peace? Are you currently to know it, you must know him. You must know that he is near, that he is fully aware of your life and that he wants you to bring your anxieties to him and worries to him with thanksgiving, rejoicing in him and in this new citizenship, not in Rome or not in the United States or not in whatever club that you think or, or opportunity that you think will bring you peace, but in the kingdom of God. Through the presence of God. I want you to imagine for a moment. You know we had our story at the beginning. Of the guys jumping out of the boat. Crossing over the water. Coming back. And maybe you've been in a spot. You can feel free to close your eyes. Or if that makes you feel uncomfortable. You don't have to. But I want you just to think through. These three rocks that we've talked about. Kind of trying to give you some visual sense. Of where we've been this morning. But for a moment. Let's spend just a few seconds. Kids I invite you to do the same thing. To imagine you're trying to cross a creek. And first we're going to jump on, in the midst of all this instability, we're going to jump on the stone of rejoicing. And I want to invite you to do that even right now. Close your eyes if you're comfortable with it. If not, just sit there and think what even, and for those of you that may not even be Christians or may not even understand this God thing, I want you to to just play with this for a moment. What would it be like to have a rock that you could wake up every morning and jump onto and it's a rock of rejoicing? Not just in what's currently happening in life or not happening, but a rock of rejoicing in the truth that I am a citizen of heaven. For a moment, I want to invite you to jump onto that rock to feel what that would be like of rejoicing. Lord, I rejoice. For just a moment, be there. Again, a rejoicing that's not based on what's happening. That's based on who God is and what he's done in your life. So that no matter what Monday morning comes, and I don't often like Monday mornings. I kind of sometimes can wake up with that feeling of dread. I don't know if you ever do. I think, Lord, I rejoice this morning that what is the highest truth in my life isn't what is going to happen, but it's who you are. And imagine as you live a life of rejoicing and doing that over and over, if that could start to shape And make other people look at you and say, why are you responding so gently? Just so, why why are you not getting angry in this moment? Imagine this, this rock. And then as we jump onto the next rock. And again, what I had the privilege of doing most of this week is I prepared. I did less preparation. It was more just kind of hanging out there with my anxieties. Taking them to God. And he says, take them with thanksgiving. And my first thought was, you know, I don't feel thankful for these anxieties that I'm feeling. I feel bothered. Lord, can't you just take these anxieties away from me? I don't like them. I'm not really thankful for them. How do I be thankful? But as I did that and as we step onto that rock, here's the first thing we can be thankful for. We can be thankful that we have a God that wants to hear about them. That a God that we can turn to and say, Lord, I am not thankful for these, but I am so thankful I get to come to you and talk to you and give these things to you. 
And not only that, I'm so thankful that you have the power and you care enough about me to actually hear what I'm saying. And while it may, the answer may not be exactly what I'm praying for or it may not be exactly what I think, I'm so thankful that you know what is best for me and I'm trusting and so amazed at the ability to thank you for this thing. I want you to take this thing, whether it's a health thing or uh, whatever it is, I want you to take it out of my life, Lord. But beyond that, I want you to take it and use it and be glorified, and I'm so grateful. That's what it's like to be on the rock of prayer, of supplication, of presenting our requests to God. God cares. He wants to know about those things. Not just one time on a Sunday morning, every moment of your day. And as we practice stepping from that rock to the next rock, and then finally to the rock of his presence. As we step onto that rock and just imagine what it is like to be in the presence of God. To live in his presence. No matter what, sh- that the, just like the, the song that we sang earlier, in the midst of the storm, we get to turn to him. And not have joy because there's a storm going on, but to have joy because we have an incredible rock that we get to stand on that brings a peace that passes all understanding maybe everything inside you is screaming at you this makes no sense right now this thing that's happening God you should take this away from me but yet we can stop for a moment and trust his presence and trust his peace that it will guard our hearts and our minds we can trust on this rock when we're with him in his presence we can trust our hearts to him and our minds to him And imagine where the disciples were whenever they saw their Savior, the one that they thought was going to take over the world, that they were going to be at his right hand, when they saw him crucified on the cross. Imagine the anxiety that they felt. Lord, they gave up everything. They followed you and now they've just put him to death on the cross and there's no going back. And in that moment... They must have felt like, God, where are you? There is no thing good that could come from this. And what did they do? They ran away and hid. And imagine in that moment, there they were. God, nothing good could come from this. We thought all these things were going to happen. And you just, he's, he's gone. He's been, the Roman government has put him to death on the cross. Nothing good could happen from this, the anxiety, the turmoil they must have felt when they were there in that moment. Imagine that and to put ourselves in that place, whatever anxiety, whatever thing that you're feeling and facing. But there they were, they were thinking that. And of course, we know the rest of the story. We know that what God was up to, was there nothing good that would happen to that? No, everything good that could possibly happen, happened to that. That's what God was up to because of his presence, because of his foreknowledge. They didn't know it yet. That God was in that moment doing everything, everything he was up to. And the disciples got to experience what it's like to step onto the rock of his presence and say, Lord, I don't know what you're up to right now, but I'm so thankful that I get to be in your presence. Is that time whenever Jesus then walks through the door of their closed room and changed everything about the rest of their life. The way that he's changed everything about many of us in this room And there's other people in here that have not yet experienced the presence of Jesus Christ. And I invite you to come this morning and to experience or to start experiencing what it would be like to have these rocks to stand on every day. The question is, how is your footing 
How's your footing been? And it's one thing, you know, like the guys in the boat, it's one thing to know where the rocks are. It's another thing to actually step onto them, to use them. Some of us maybe are aware of the rocks. We've experienced a relationship with God, you know, at different times in our life. But we're tending to stay over here in a place of comfort rather than stepping onto him. That was what Paul wanted for the church of Philippi, to stand firm in Jesus Christ. That's the invitation that we have today, no matter what we're facing, no matter what our anxieties are, to know that we get to rejoice in the Lord again. I will say rejoice. Take your anxieties to him through prayer, through supplication, through thanksgiving. Give your requests to God through his presence being with us. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. Psalm 97 says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightning light up his lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The melt, mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all. Rejoice, verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. That's the source of true footing in our life today. And as we sing this song in a moment, if you don't have that footing currently in your life, or if you want to regain it, we invite you to come forward and to know it, or at least we can pray for you. We have the excitement of participating in a baby dedication here in a moment, in a little while. And then after that, a baptism that we get to rejoice in. But this morning, I invite you to come and find true footing at the cross of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we just go over this, this familiar passage, as we learn to rejoice in you and know that this isn't something you were saying or Paul was saying as just a one-time uh, verse to memorize, Lord, but a daily, it's a daily rock that we would need in our lives, Lord. Help us to practice that this week. Whenever we're tempted to be overwhelmed or maybe just to take our eyes off of you, the rock, Father, help us, show us, remind us the fact that maybe these things that we want you to just take away from our lives, Lord, take away this, this stressor, take away this anxiety, take it away from me. And yet the whole time you're saying, no, those are my reminders to you. Those are your reminders, Lord, that you've given to us to go back to you, to stop trying to run off on our own, to recognize, Lord, that those stressors are opportunities for us to come onto the rock of our salvation. I pray for every person in here this morning, Lord, as they, as they dwell upon your word this week. I pray that they would not remain the same, that they would take the time to fix their footing on you. And even for our kids, Lord, as they're growing up, as there's so many challenges and things that they're going to face and, and, and times when they're going to maybe be upset with you, I pray that they would take, their, <clears throat> take that to you and talk through it with you and to their parents and that they could come to know and grow Lord, to have strong footing in a world that wants to tear them down and wants to take them away from you. Thank you for your love for us. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray.